0: It's one of those mornings where we're like, is there, are we forgetting something? We're probably forgetting something, who knows. Uh, but I am. Um, I, I, I gotta tell you, when we had this idea, there was this, uh, this notion of like, what if, what if no one sends any messages? And what if we're just like, well, uh, but um, we're just blown away, um, I think, by the, the outpouring of gratitude from the church for all that God has done, really and truly. Um, we are so grateful for his faithfulness. Um, and I will add just one more to the voices, but to say I'm grateful for a church um, that has kids in it. Uh, there are so many people in my profession, even of my colleagues, that will talk about just an old church with, you know, ah, you know what? Like we don't have another generation. We don't have any kids. We don't have any, anyone that we're looking to that's coming up. And, uh, and I can't relate. Uh, I, you know, it fills me with so much joy and hope to hear the kids uh, in the service and, and uh, if, you, if you ever just pop your nose downstairs or upstairs, you will see so much uh, just amazing joy. Is there, I'm being signaled. Is there something that I can do different with this that I should be on the microphone? Okay. If I need to switch, let me know. Switch microphone or am I good? Okay. All right. I never know. I'll just talk and talk, and you guys can listen or not. It's up to you. so uh, let me uh, this morning we are going to be in mostly Hebrews five and just a little bit of Hebrews four. Uh, what I want to do is start as I uh, have been, uh, as, as is our habit here, uh, just reading this passage. Uh, for us, So if you turn with me, if you have a copy of Scripture in front of you, uh, whether paper or digital, uh, to Hebrews chapter 4, we'll start in verse 14, and then we will read through into chapter 5 to, to verse 10. <clears throat> Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by whom who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. God, I pray that we would wrestle with this, even some of the harder and maybe more difficult to understand portions of your word Um, And I pray that we would find strength and solace and refuge in your son, Jesus, because he is our perfect great high priest, that we would, because of his work, draw near to you. And I pray that you would do that this morning as you open your word to us. Amen. We've been going through uh, this book of Hebrews, and here we come to this notion um, of Jesus as our great high priest. You know, empathy is a good thing. Um, I I think it's a a good thing to try and put yourself in somebody else's shoes. But occasionally, and I don't know if you've felt this like I have, but it can be a little bit frustrating and maybe even insulting when you know someone doesn't get it. They don't understand. And they say, oh, I I understand completely. you want to be like, no, you don't. You know, and that that rubbed me the wrong way a little bit. And we we need to approach people with a little bit of humility. We need to, especially when we are reaching out, especially when we're trying to care for people, we need to have a little bit of humility and a little bit of self-awareness to know where maybe we don't get it. Maybe we do not understand what's going on. Maybe we can't fully comprehend what someone is going through or what they're feeling. Even uh, and this is one that I quote often. Oswald Chambers put it this way: "There is always one fact more in every man's case about which we know nothing. There's always something else going on, and we need to, at least for uh, in a certain measure, have enough humility to know there's probably something else going on here, and I don't fully get it. But not with Jesus. Jesus is better." In fact, that's the entire point that we've been talking about through the book of Hebrews, that Jesus is better than anyone or anything we could ever possibly worship. And because of this notion that Jesus understands us fully, completely, wholly, Jesus gets us and understands our pain, we know through what the writer is telling us in Hebrews chapter 5 that Jesus gives us direct access to God. And that's the thing that I want to leave you with this morning, that Jesus gives us direct access to God. And so as we're going through the book of Hebrews, we're listing kind of all of these things, and sometimes it seems kind of strange the order that the author chooses, we're talking about angels, why? We're talking about Moses, why? We're talking about wandering in the wilderness, why is he quoting that Psalm? But everything has this kind of natural and logical progression. And so as we talk about direct access to God, now we're talking about priesthood. Now, you might remember when we were uh, going through Haggai, the role of the priest, again, is to represent the people before God, okay? the priest is meant to be our representative before god you know if uh, if the people are here and god is here the priest is one who stands listens to the people and then speaks before god and jesus does that and so why after we've been talking about psalm 95 and wandering in the wilderness and the rebellion of the people before going into the land of canaan why suddenly are we talking about this idea of high priests well There's a logical explanation for this and one that the people listening and and reading this letter the first time would be thinking of, would have in their minds. There is a reason for the priesthood, and it has to do with this rebellion uh, when the, the children of Israel were wandering in the desert. And there's a lot of different places that you can go for this, but I think there's one really good passage in Deuteronomy 33. Now, just to set this up a little bit, right before Moses dies, he does not get to enter the promised land, but he knows he is about to die. What he does is he gathers people to him, representatives from every tribe of Israel, each of the 12 tribes, and he sings this song. There is this poem that he sings to them sort of as a blessing, and these are Moses' last words, and then he hikes up a mountain, looks out at the land he will never get to enter one last time and dies, okay? And so he starts with kind of a general blessing and then he starts with Judah and gives this sort of prophetic blessing to Judah. And the very next one is Levi. And that's where I wanna read right now in Deuteronomy chapter 33, starting in verse eight. And remember, this is a poem and so the, the formatting is, a, is poetic in that sense, and of Levi, he said, give to Levi your thuman and your Urim to your godly one, whom you tested at Massah and with whom you quarreled at the waters of Meribah. And I hope Massa and Meribah are to you by now familiar. Hey, remember we were reading about that from Psalm 95 referencing this place in the wilderness where the people did not believe God, where they did not obey and take the land as God was offering them to do so. And because of their disobedience, there, there needs to be you know, some direction for them. And this is where we go. Who said of his father and mother, I regard them not. Remember, we're talking about Levi here. He disowns his brothers and ignored his children. For they observed your word and kept your covenant. They shall teach Jacob your rules and Israel your law. They shall put incense before you and whole burnt offerings on your altar. Bless, O Lord, his substance and accept the work of his hands. Crush the loins of his adversaries and of those who hate him that they rise not again. Now. While I recognize I'm sure many of you are going to run out of here today to have Deuteronomy 3311 tattooed on your arms for it's your new life verse, Um, if you look at some of the other verses that, that are in this section, what you see is a reference to, in fact, I'll back up, a reference to this time when of all of the people, Levi was faithful, And there's this time in Numbers chapter 25 when the people have just kind of grown accustomed to uh, the culture around them and they've uh, taken wives and intermarried and and the Canaanites are saying, hey, you you guys should just worship our gods, these Baals and and other false gods. And the people are kind of like, yeah, okay, why not? And there is a a contingent from the tribe of Levi, in fact, led by Phineas, who was the grandson of Aaron, Aaron, Eliezer, Phinehas, who kind of said, no, guys, this isn't right. We need to stay true to what God is saying. And you can even see here in verse nine, disowned his brothers, ignored his children, essentially saying, it doesn't matter what everybody else is saying. Whatever the crowd is going for, we need to observe God's word. We need to hold fast to God's covenant with us. And it is because of this, essentially, that Moses kind of designates the tribe of Levi to be those that, that will give instruction. There's some some need for the people to be taught a little bit. And that's what we get to in the next verse, in verse 10. They shall teach Jacob, or all of Israel, okay, your rules and Israel your laws. They shall put incense before you and whole burnt offerings on your altar. So not only are are the Levites responsible for teaching the people, but they will also act as priests on behalf of Israel in order to give offerings and worship and make uh, atonement and all of those things to God on behalf of Israel. So that's why... It's a natural thing that because of what happened in the wilderness, because of Massa and Meribah, because of their lack of faith, because of their disobedience and their rebellion, here now we need to have a priesthood. We need to have people who are responsible for teaching the people and for making uh, offerings and atonement on behalf of the people. And that is the role of the Levites here in the priesthood. Okay. You with me? You following? Let's go back to Hebrews now In Hebrews uh, towards the end of chapter four here. So that is why we are now talking about the priests. And he, he kind of starts with this excellent topic sentence. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession, by the way. In this passage, great topic sentence. I am a firm believer in a strong topic sentence. He starts with, here's the truth and here's what I want you to do about it, and then goes on to, here's why. Here's my defense of that. Here, here's the kind of information that I can give you, all right? And so young people, I'm telling you, if you ever want to write a really good college entrance you know, essay, uh, you want a job and you want a cover letter, a strong topic sentence. I'm a believer in it, okay? do it. Um, And he uses this, uh, even as he's talking about priests, and later on you see this term high priest, right from the get-go he refers to Jesus a little bit differently. You'll notice he says we have a great high priest. So the Levites were this order of priesthood, okay? And there was also throughout the time, uh, all through the Old Testament and the temple periods, one high priest one person who is designated to give the olah offering and to sprinkle the blood on the altar and give atonement i toyed very briefly with okay let's dive into some of this part in exodus uh, 29 and in the first seven chapters of leviticus it's thick it's dense i commend it to you this week i, I am sure all of your devotional readings will be uh, from leviticus 1 enjoy that um but you can see the, the role of the priest, and there was the high priest who had this specific, particular job that only he could do. But here, there's a phrase that's a little bit different. It's a great high priest. And the reason for this is because we need to distinguish Jesus as being even better than these high priests. I'm gonna do something this morning which I try never, ever to do. I'm gonna talk about the Greek. Uh, the reason that I try never to do that, I had, I had a professor uh, of homiletics who would say, uh, you know, concerning uh, Greek and Hebrew stuff, he would say, listen, original languages and studying the original languages is like underwear. It's crucial for support, but you shouldn't show it off to everybody, okay? <laughs> so I have, I have tried my best to live by that, but I, wanna, I want to, this morning, do a little bit because I think that these are Greek words with which we ourselves would be familiar. So there is the word for priest, and then high priest just has this prefix, arch. We even have that within English, like when you think of archbishop or archangel, or if maybe you have an arch nemesis, it just means highest or chief. In fact, the word arch, you know, the structural thing, like that, that means the highest point. So that's all that arch means there. And what he is doing is he's adding another prefix onto that. It's not just a priest. It's not just a high or chief priest. It's a mega high priest. And that is the Greek word that he uses, a mega arch priest. It makes me think a little bit of when my seven and eight-year-old are trying to one-up each other. And they say things like, well, I'm the best. Well, I'm the most bestest. Well, I'm the most chief bestest. I'm the mega most chief bestest. It's like that, okay? So that... That is what the author is trying to say. Like, okay, there's the priest, there's the high priest, but then Jesus is just like, we have to invent a new rank. He is the mega high priest. And that's what he is doing there when he introduces who Jesus is and what he is doing. And what we get, especially in verses one through four, we we have this kind of description of the general qualifications for a high priest. And remember that this high priest, their whole point was to give people access to God. And that is why Jesus is the mega high priest, because Jesus gives us perfect, direct access to God. And he starts with this this notion that it's even better than a regular high priest, because Jesus knows and Jesus understands. Jesus gets us. We have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses because Jesus was tempted in every respect and in every way that you and I are as well. And he p- unpacks that uh, a little bit more in a bit. And then he, he starts with his exhortation. He starts with this in verse, you know, it is, let us hold fast our confession. Every week I have a so what, like what's the big deal, why are we doing this? The author of Hebrews, remember, is building to one kind of big so what, one big exhortation, namely, hold fast our confession. And he, and he expounds on that in, in verse 16 where he says, we may draw near, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. This is what the author is trying to get us to do, and he tells us this, right from the get-go and then we come to verse 1 of chapter 5 where we talk about these um, sort of qualifications for the great high priest or for the high priest rather excuse me and he says for every high priest chosen from among men meaning the high priest has to be human the high priest is not some angel or other ethereal spiritual being who comes and intercedes on our behalf The high priest is someone who is a human being chosen. And that is why Jesus does qualify. Remember a few weeks ago how we said Jesus is the perfect human. That is part of what makes him qualified to be our high priest because the high priest is chosen from among men. And then number two, uh, in verse two, we can see he can act gently. This is the, not Jesus, but the high priest. He can act gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Since your priest is also a sinful human being. And I got to tell you, there was for a long time, this passage was, was really helpful and instructive Uh, in in the church and some of the canon and trying to figure out what are the qualifications for leadership and for priesthood. And even in many church traditions where there is still a priest, for a while there was this argument of like, well, we have to have a priest that that is without sin. We have to have someone who is instructing us and making offerings on our behalf and and providing atonement in a way that, you know, they they have to be perfect. And it was like, well, we got nobody then. Uh, And in verse 2, it says, look, the high priest is someone who is also sinful. This high priest also understands what it means to be a sinful human being. And so he has to first make a sin offering for himself. And that was part of, of the, uh, the ritual in the temple where the high priest started with his own sin offering and then a sin offering on behalf of the people and then the other offerings, the the burnt offering uh, and the, the offering of thanksgiving and some of those other, other ones. But he had to offer an offering on his own sin first. And the other thing to note here, as you see in verse 4, that this high priest has to be appointed. This is not an open application for whoever wanted to be high priest. Moses didn't gather everyone together and say, I need volunteers. It was someone who was appointed by God. Aaron was called out and said, here is what you are going to do. This is your job, Aaron. And then his son, and then his son, and then the other Levites as well. It was God saying, here is who you are. And now the author kind of pivots and turns to talking about jesus specifically when you look at verse five so also christ did not exalt himself to be made high priest he was appointed it was god who looked down and said yes this is my chosen messiah that i am sending for this specific purpose to give you all direct access to me i am appointing him and then he quotes this messianic psalm which we have already seen uh, in the book of hebrews previously from psalm chapter two and remember that this is a very important and highly regarded psalm this was what was quoted by god himself at the baptism of jesus this is my son Uh, during the transfiguration when peter james and john went up on the mountain with Jesus and they saw him transformed into the image of the holy high God and and it was God's voice that's saying, yes, him, I'm showing you now, this is the one that I have chosen, I have put my seal on him, I have sent him specifically for this task. And that's what's happening here. They're not saying, here's the person who qualified, who entered, who applied, No, God has appointed Jesus. God has put his seal on him and said, this one. And that's who Jesus is. And that's also why we see in verse 5 suddenly a switch from calling him Jesus to calling him Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's a title. It means Messiah. Messiah is a transliteration of the Hebrew word, Christ is the Greek word that just means chosen one or anointed one. That is why we 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 recognize for hundreds of years all of human history, all of God's revelation was telling us I am going to send a special chosen one, a rescuer. And it is God himself that enters our humanity. We'll talk about that in a second. And is appointed in this way, and that is who God is saying, it's him, it's Jesus. He is the Christ. And he he just kind of briefly brings up uh, this, this allusion to Melchizedek. He quotes here Psalm 110 and talks about Jesus being a high priest, not in the sense even of the Levitical priest, but a great high priest, more like the order of this guy, Melchizedek. And i got to tell you, I've said it before, and I will say it again. If you are searching for a baby name, look no further than inspired scripture, okay? So just in case Zerubbabel or uh, Shalal Hashbaz are taken, Melchizedek is still up for grabs. Take note. I'm just saying, okay? That's free, all right? Um, You call him Mel. Wouldn't that be amazing? So is that short for Melvin? Well, actually, um, no, I... (laughs) It's a built-in opportunity to preach the... God. All right, I'm just, at this point, I'm just living vicariously through you. Okay. Um, but all, we will talk at length about Melchizedek next week. And the author goes into much more detail, uh, especially in chapter 7, about this guy, Melchizedek. But for the time being, know that Melchizedek comes in in Genesis chapter 14 way before any of the levitical order way before the tribes of judah way before joseph and it's during the time of abram that this guy shows up out of nowhere no mother no father no children no legacy to speak of just pops up and yet here abram recognizes him as being worthy to mediate between him and god recognizes his authority as a priest and to offer um, sacrifices to God on Abram's behalf. And what he is doing by citing this priest is acknowledging Jesus here is the ultimate mediator between a holy God and sinful men and women. Jesus is the mega high chief priest in saying he gives us direct access to God. Where, where there exists this chasm between a holy God and sinful humanity, Jesus is the perfect priest to bridge that gap. And that's what he is saying here. Because Jesus gives us direct access to God. And then we, we go into verse 7 something that ought to you know what he's trying to do is evoke gethsemane the garden of gethsemane when jesus is praying um but it 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 is a little bit more broad than that even in in the way that he says in verse 7 in the days of his flesh jesus offered yes that is gethsemane yes that is when he is praying on our behalf right before um, the day when he is betrayed and crucified and and killed um, but also just generally when you think about the days of Jesus' flesh That is the whole time that he is on earth And this is the thing that he starts with in his topic sentence a high priest that understands and knows Our weaknesses because jesus enters our humanity There is a lot of our experience That is frustrating and painful because of our sin and the choices that we are making. However, there is so much of our experience that is painful and frustrating and creates tension simply because we are humans that live in a world that has been affected by sin. Jesus entered that same humanity when he wrapped himself in flesh. And as I said before, this passage was used to debunk all sort of of heresies in the early church to really nail down who Jesus was. And yes, he actually was a human being. Yes, he was the perfect human, but he was a human. And he experienced life in this fallen world. And I want you just to think for a minute, reflect on your week and think about all of the frustration and tension and unmet expectations and strife and, and conflict and everything else that goes through your week. And I don't think that Jesus would, you know, he got upset when that guy cut him off in traffic or whatever, like, oh, his donkey ran my donkey off the road or, or anything like that. But I mean, really and truly think about this. Jesus entered into the same world of pain and frustration and, and, and puberty. <laughs> and awkward conversations and that moment when you remember someone's name and you can tell they don't remember yours and like do I tell them do I rescue them does that make it more awkward like Jesus experienced all of that he experienced that like weird back hair that shows up in your late 20s and you go what is that about like what he experienced all of the shortcomings of life in a world that has been affected by sin even though he himself did not sin he got to enter our into our humanity and experience it with it and so much more than that when you imagine Jesus's experience in losing loved ones the death of friends and family Jesus was betrayed by some of his closest friends can you imagine what that felt like I imagine some of you do know what that feels like. And you know who else knows what that feels like? Jesus, our great high priest. That's why Jesus is better. That's why Jesus gives us direct access to God because he knows and he gets it and he understands what it is like to live and, and experience pain and torture and humiliation and death. Jesus gets it, and he understands, and that's what makes him our great high priest. And even as we look into this time, this Garden of Gethsemane moment, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. I love that. I love that loud cries and tears. I, uh, you know, it's an occupational hazard. Whereas a pastor, I will meet with people, and with some frequency, people will cry when I meet with them for various reasons. It's usually not me, I think, but and almost always people, almost always, people will respond by saying, I'm so sorry. And I always tell them the same thing. Why? Why are you sorry? Why do we think that it is somehow weak, or sinful to shed tears. Why on earth would we apologize when we cry out to God in the midst of our pain and frustration? Jesus did it. And when you shed tears and when you cry out to God because of this pain and frustration, you are becoming more like Christ. In fact, have you ever heard someone say, well, real men don't cry? You know what? Technically, that is a Christological heresy. And if someone says to you, real men don't cry, are you saying Jesus isn't a real man? Because that's docetism, and that was debunked in the Council of Nicaea in 325. So there, you don't have to say all that, but the, I would. Anyway, <laughs> real men cry. Jesus is a real man, and he did it. And your tears, those two can be an act of worship. Jesus shed those tears. Jesus prayed hard. Jesus cried out to God. And the really neat thing is what it says next. To him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Now this word heard, it's a, it's a tough one to translate. Because it means more than just. God was listening and he acknowledged what was said, but this word heard carries with it a sense of answered prayer, a sense of acquiescence, which is difficult because you go, but Jesus did die. Here, he calls out to the one who is able to rescue him from death, and even if you remember Jesus in the garden praying, Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me, and yet your will be done. Jesus fervently praying through cries and tears in the garden, prays to a God who is able to save him from death. But the really neat thing that is happening here and what the author lets us know is, he is calling out to a God that can save all of us from death. And this is a death that's so much more than what happened on Golgotha 2,000 years ago. It's a death that is so much worse. It's a death that means permanent, forever, separation from a God that created us to have intimacy with him. And Jesus cried out not for himself but for us. He cries out to say save all of us from death and that God listened to and that God said yes because Jesus gives us direct access with God and the death that we would have, could have experienced being separated from God forever, Jesus himself said, not on my watch. And he gives us direct access through his tears and crying out to God. And he alone could do it as our great mega high priest, give us direct access to God. And so we we come to the so what? And, and as I said before, I mean, it's, it's built in. The, the author here starts with the so what. The author here gives us a strong topic sentence right from the beginning that tells us in verses 14 and 16, let us hold fast our confession. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. By the way, in verse 14, when he says, let us hold fast our confession, most of the time when we think of confession, we think of confession of sins. That's not the confession he's talking about. Confession, it really is just a word that means to say with, to agree with. And he's saying, our confession that Jesus Christ is Lord, and by following him is the only way that we are made right with God. Let's hold fast to that. Let us cling to Jesus, whatever we do. And for us, let us cling to Jesus, whatever we do. But this has implications about confession of sins. This is why in our faith tradition, we don't have priests. I am not called a priest. It makes me cringe when people do that. And they say, well, you're the priest over there, right? Nope, we already have one of those. (laughs) Great high priest, in fact. And we don't practice confession where there is some necessity for you to come and confess your sins to some elite class of people who then take those to God and deliver atonement for you. You don't need any mediator from me. Jesus has done that. Jesus gives you direct access I am not saying it's a bad thing to confess your sins. I'm not saying it's a bad thing to live in community where you hold one another accountable. I am just saying you will never hear from me, well, if you do X, Y, and Z, and and this, that, and the other, and say this so many times, you will receive atonement. Somebody else has already done that for you, okay? You confess your sins to God directly. Why? Because Jesus gives us direct access to God. The other thing is, his, this idea of drawing near to the throne of grace with confidence in order that we may receive mercy and find grace. There's something interesting that happens when we feel the weight of our sin. We become ashamed. And our sin and our shame makes us not want to pray or read our Bible or go to church. Because we feel this sense of like, well, I... I need to work a little harder before I gain access. What the author is saying is, stop doing that. You have already been granted access. And there's something strange that happens. Um, There's a guy named D.L. Moody, and who, in addition to having spectacular initials and superb facial hair, uh, founded a school in Chicago whereby only the the greatest Bible scholars uh, go and study. Thank you, I appreciate (laughs) it. But D.L. Moody said this, he said, the Bible will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from the Bible. There is something strange about when we are burdened, heavy laden with our sin, we don't want to read. We don't want to pray. We don't want to hang out with those other Christians that are going to ask us about our faith or our spiritual life. He says, stop doing that. You have to, with confidence, draw near because the atonement that we're looking for has already happened. The atonement that we're seeking out, that we feel like we need in order to gain access, it's already been granted. So have confidence. And when you are mired in sin, when you are heavy laden, when you realize that you are in a deep pit, that is the best time to go to God. And there is no slowly climbing and making my way up. He says, nope, it's already been done. The price is paid. Jesus gives us direct access to God. And if you find yourself in that place, please don't. Please have boldness and confidence to go before God, to go to your life group, to go to God's word, to come to him in prayer and confess your sins. Spoiler alert, he already knows but the the forgiveness and the assurance of salvation, the atonement, it's already happened. Jesus gives us direct access to God. There's one last point that I I just want to hearken back to the Levites in the Old Testament. And when we think about people for whom their role is to instruct and teach us, This is an area where I do feel there is a professional class of people. I mean, I should say that, otherwise I don't have a job. Um, but, But to say, look, my role is not to provide some atonement for you. My role, at least part of it, is to instruct God's people, is to help explain God's word, to draw people closer to God in the same way that the Levites were. And I hope, I hope it was because I have shown that I I will be faithful to God's word, that I was selected for this job. And I hope I will continue to earn your trust and show that to you in faithfulness to God's word. Because what was the alternative? Being caught up in what the crowd said. Being carried away in whatever the sort of societal trend was. And I, I really and truly I appreciate the encouragement that that many of you give me Um, many of you have have said things I love your preaching it's good and great and that is wonderful and I do I love and I appreciate that in my experience I have found that everyone loves to think that I'm a great Bible teacher right up until they disagree with me Um, and then suddenly there's another but I ask you to keep me accountable I ask you don't assume that I think or teach something because it's what society or I'm caving into this other thing or whatever. But together, let us always hold fast to God's word. Let us always dive into what God's word says and find our conviction and our so what from there. We will not always agree on what that is, and that is okay. But I hope, and that is my commitment, that I will, as best as I can, faithfully preach God's word but in terms of access to God you don't need me and I hope you know that because Jesus gives us direct access to God I've got a couple more things to say Um, I let me just pray and then uh, a couple of programming notes God we thank you so much for all of the ways that you give us direct access through your Holy Spirit, so that we can feel God's presence in our lives, so that we know and understand God and experience intimacy with you, so that we can understand your word as you illuminate, as you teach us things through your revelation, but also, God, so that we can experience intimacy with you free of the burden of our sin, free of the condemnation that sin brings and yes we may experience consequences for our sin but we do not have not will not experience condemnation because you have already atoned for it you have already paid the price and you have given us direct access by the blood of your son jesus our great high priest and i pray because of that we would come to you in prayer and in community and in bible study and in worship and in all that we do with confidence and with boldness knowing that you have already secured our access by the blood of your son we pray it in his name amen just a quick programming note um, uh, as we're going through hebrews we're actually going to skip the next little bit the next sort of uh, pericope or passage would be Hebrews 5:11 through 6:12. there's this kind of little aside that the author gives he brings up Melchizedek and then there's there's almost this sense of him going like I'd like to say more about this but I got to stop it you know I have to get in the weeds and explain this because you guys need to mature you need to grow up a little bit I preached a sermon on that exact passage uh, less than three months ago, and I figure, you know what, maybe it's fresh in your minds, or you know, I, I don't want to, uh, frankly, for the, for the sake of expedience, uh, just move on. And this week, if you want to kind of stay along with uh, the reading in Hebrews, feel free to go back to July 9th. It's on YouTube, it's on other platforms. Uh, and then we'll this week in the email, we can include a, le- a link to that uh, so that if you want to be refreshed for that, you can do that. And then when we meet again next week, we'll be diving in to Hebrews 6:13 through 7.28 through the rest of the, of the chapter. Um, seven. So thank you for that brief programming note, uh, and uh, yeah, we'll have the, the worship team lead us.